You're listening to Razor Riffs with Keith Razor and Alan Lee right here on LA Talk Radio. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Uh, subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend. Uh, we got a couple dates. Uh, Tuesday, uh, July 21st. I mean, I'm sorry, Tuesday, July 31st. Uh, we're at the Jimmy Kimmel Comedy Club in Vegas with Vicky Barblack. Uh, and then Friday, February 1st. We're at the rec, the fourth. I'm sorry, the fourth. Uh, we're at the rec room with Joey Medina, and I just signed a deal to uh, record my second one-hour special, and that's what we're doing. Uh, today's guest, we got Jill Kimmel, who just now got on the Zoom. You've seen Jill on Comedy Central, and she has uh, countless uh, UFO tours, uh, U- USO tours. Sorry. And uh, she is also in Crank Acres, and she is entering the room right now as we speak. So get ready for Jill Kimmel. The Zoom. Hey, Jill. Hi, how are you? Doing good. Finally, thank you so much. Oh my God, good to see you. I have a little bit of a cold. I don't know why it's showing my name as my son's name. That's super weird. Oh no, I, I didn't I didn't mention it on air because I didn't, you know, for privacy. But I, when I saw the name, I was like, holy Lord, I really hope this is Jill. <laughs> but yeah, that's my son's name. I don't know why it says that. He hasn't ever used my computer. He's got his own. Oh. Change that. Let's see. Well, I know it's you. I know. It's just kind of weird. I just think for the future, I should definitely know. Um, Oh, well. All right. At least it's somebody I like. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I like you, too. So, unfortunately, (laughs) I do have a little bit of a cold, so I sound a little crazy, but... Oh, are you good to go, or do you want to... No, just, you know, sounding a little nasal. I don't think anybody will care. It's always best to get, get it done since I've been harassing you for three years. Well, I mean, it's like always it's so funny because it's like it's always like you'll make plans and then it's like, oh, wait, now I got a cruise ship at the last minute. It's always so this time I was like, even though I was sick, I was like, I have to do this. I've been putting it off forever. (laughs) Here we are. No, but I'm one of those people where like I, you know, I mean, you know me, like I I mean it in good fun, but I I don't let like once people commit, I'm like on to them, you know. No, and that's good. That's good. But if someone commits, then they should stick with it for sure. So uh, I wanted to ask you, because uh, I met you right before the whole COVID shutdown. We were at the Slow Co Comedy Festival, and um, I just fell in love with your humor because I thought you were so funny. And I remember I saw you, and then I went after you. And then the next show, I think I went before you, and then you went after me. And I just thought it was just so cool how nice and sweet you were because a lot of people – you know, that's a festival where it's a lot, mostly headliners, but they're only doing eight minute sets and all of them are like bitter for the eight minutes. You know what I mean? I like a shorter set. I feel like, hey, you know what? I get paid the same regardless. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So, I mean, I, I just really clicked with you that weekend. So I just wanted to say that's how, for the folks at home, that's how I came to know you. Yeah, that was fun. That was a really great weekend. There were a lot of really good comics and that slow festival is so much fun. Yeah. Like they put so much work into it and it seems effortless when you get there, but I cannot imagine putting something together that is that many moving parts. Yeah. But I, I just thought it was funny because I was my, I don't know if I'll ever like submit for it again, because, you know, it's one of those things where I've done it, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I just thought it was hilarious how everyone was just like, oh my God, you know? And I was just like, oh dude, this is fun. You know yeah. what I mean? It was fun. <laughs> And then the pandemic happened, and then you were actually one of the first comics to, like, when the when we started to open, you, you started doing dates and stuff, and I asked you to open for a couple stuff, and, like, I just thought that that was cool that you were still performing in the danger zone. You know oh, what I mean? Well, it's because I lived in Arizona, so <laughs> Arizona is very much like Florida, where their rules are less restrictive. Yeah. Um, I was still careful. Like, I didn't go anywhere. If I was performing, it would be at clubs that would have like the three comics, the opener, the middle, and the headliner. And they would have the three of us alone in a green room and we would all have masks on and be like sitting on separate sides of the green room. And we all had our own microphones and the audiences at the clubs I was working, they put up plexiglass around the tables. Holy they, Lord. Yeah, and they would only seat at like 25% capacity. So it was all the Arizona clubs. And I mean, they did a really good job about trying to stay safe while still having shows. So yeah. it was good. I think, how much glass do you think the clubs like spent to get that? You know what I mean? I know one of the, well, there's three clubs in Arizona that are all owned by the same people. And I don't know if he meant that this was the total for all three clubs. So it was mm -hmm. Tempe Improv, Stand Up Live and CB Live are all owned by the same group. Um, the owner told me that he spent $80,000 on plexiglass. Holy, wow. Yeah. That's, so that's they're, a lot. They're trying really hard to keep people safe. Yeah. So they used it for like the first year and then they got rid of it, right? They did, yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, there goes that, my 80000 but it was for all three clubs. Right. And also they would have made no money because they would have been totally closed if they didn't do that. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Maybe they sold them to like a restaurant or something or banks or like Walmart. You know, like Walmart still has like the plexiglass up or some of the stores yeah, my, my uh, day job, because I'm still a struggling stand-up comedian, my day job, I work at a grocery store, and we still have those. And I just think it's so funny because, not that COVID's funny, but I think the whole situation now is funny because everyone's either vaccinated or not, and we still have these glass. Right, you know I mean? mean, it's not a terrible idea. Like, right now, I have a little bit of a cold, and it's like, yeah, wouldn't you like if there was plexiglass up between me and you if we were at a store together? Just so you don't, even though it's not COVID, I yeah. think we're just more, a little bit more aware of like germs and stuff now, which, you know, before I would just be like, oh, I would hold on to a railing walking down. And now I'm like, do I risk falling? Just not hold on to this. But, but would you say that like in a way that it like, in a strange way, COVID was actually good because it's helped like with with a lot of people who are doing interviews, they like to do it on the computer instead of going to a station now. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it was good, but I would say there were good aspects of it. Yeah. You know. So, you know, now I could just say, hey, you can't reject me over Zoom. <laughs> right. No excuse. 
So, Jill, I wanted to ask you because you, you were telling me at this uh, when we met at the festival that when you first started comedy, uh, you would like I, I forgot what club you said you uh, told you that uh, had you do this. I think it was the Tempe Improv or stand up where like you would go to the airport and pick up the headliners and drive them around. Tempe Improv. Yep. Yeah. So I wanted to ask like your experiences on that. Like how how do you get into doing that because that well, seems like a door guy deal yeah it does well i was the pr manager at the time so it does seem like a door guy thing but they had me doing it for the summer because my kids were out of school so they could just sleep in like their dad was home but if it was during the school year i would have had to get them up really early and like drive them to my mom's and have them spend the night so they could get ready and go to school it was like a whole saga so during the summer the first i worked there from like I worked there for six months. So what's six months from November, June, I think it was like May or June till November. I worked there as the PR manager and they had me doing that. And it was really cool. Sometimes like sometimes you get, sorry. Holy Lord. There's a dog. I think my daughter just pulled up. And so. Oh, no worries. That's not nice. Um, or he gets mad when I'm not talking to him. He feels like that's the same with my dog. I gotta go grab him just so he doesn't keep. No barking. worries, no worries. Hey, you knock it off, Mister. Come here. Come here. Hold on a sec. Okay. He is so. Oh. Crazy. He's a I cute dog. Thank Two- you. Too bad the folks at home don't get to see it. But yeah, well, they can all go to my Instagram page. It's me, Jill Kimmel, and they will get a good view of a lot of pictures of Sunny. Oh, excellent, excellent. Um, okay, so like sometimes you get someone really cool, like a really cool headliner to pick up, you know, like Greg Fitzsimmons, or you know, I picked up Brian Posehn or Deal Hughley, or you know, someone like that. That it's like is really cool and nice, and they might be like. Oh, you're a comic? Do you want to do a guest set this weekend? Like that kind of thing. Yeah. And then once in a while, you get somebody who's not nice to you. Right. And you're like, bro, listen, like even if I wasn't a comic and even if I wasn't the PR manager, if I was just like a guy making minimum wage working the door, like why are you rude? Right. It makes no sense to me why someone just would be rude to someone else for no reason. No. I don't understand it. That's one of my biggest pet peeves because like, and I think like I take it more personal with my Asperger's, but like, I I don't understand how people could be like, I understand we all have bad days and stuff, but there's no need to just be cruel and like treat people like they're beneath you. Right. Like if you have a bad day, listen, I get bad days. I totally get it. But um, just outright being a jerk is like, Come on, guy. Like, who do you think you are? And it was never like the super famous ones. It was always like the kind of, you know, you're like, yeah, I could see you headlining here, but also I could see you headlining at a bar, you know? (laughs) Right. I get that. That kind of thing. So not to mention names, but uh, I'm going to put money on it. Is it a Barry Sobel or something? I don't know Barry Sobel. I have heard (laughs) that name, but I don't know him personally. Um, I mean, if that's, you if you guess the name, I'll tell you. <laughs> oh no, I don't. I don't feel like playing guessing names. I, yeah. I just mentioned the people who are mean to me. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> well, no, I don't know Barry Sobel, but um, yeah, this person in particular. It's funny because a lot of people who I tell the story to of like what happened that weekend are all like, "Oh yeah, no, that person's terrible." Oh so, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So like I like and I've been doing comedy for 17 years and I could say honestly I've only ran into like four or five terrible people. And really? Yeah. And I know there's more out there, but I worked with one of them because he was on the same tour with me and like because I was with I was with Norm McDonald for nine years. Yeah, God and, rest his soul. And um, you know, he was my best friend. And Sobel was on the one of the tours, and me and Sobel, we just butted heads every city. So it was just like a nightmare, you know. What did Norm say about that? Like, what was his take on it? Uh well, the truth is, uh he was more on Sobel's side on certain situations, only because he was a veteran. And at the time we were writing uh, the Norm MacDonald has a talk show for Netflix. So Barry Sobel, I don't know if this is true. This is just, you know, in the circle. He he said he was Tom Hanks's best friend. And Norm really wanted Tom Hanks on the show. So oh. I think he kind of gave, you know what I mean? Barry a little leeway, a little more credit than perhaps he deserved. Right. Yeah. So it just got, you know. You know, there, there's two sides to every story, too. So I don't want to, like, completely slam. Of course. And, and, you know, there's sometimes things that you're like, this person was rude to me. And then they explain why. And you're like, oh, I didn't realize you saw it that way. Like, I didn't realize I had come off that way or, you know, whatever. So yeah. the good news is that there's way more nice comics out there than there are rude ones. Yeah. And I know you worked with Norm, too, for a while, didn't you? I actually, I just opened for him. Um one weekend at the Tempe Improv and I've got, I'll never forget that weekend. It was, you know, Tempe, Arizona is like insanely hot and especially in the summer. And this was August where it's like not only super hot, like 120 degrees, but also can be humid. Like the only time of year that it's really humid and the air conditioning went out at the improv. And if you've ever been there, it's a two story building. So there's a balcony and like the balcony seats about 160 people and downstairs seats about 300. Right. And we were doing these shows with no AC in the showroom. So if you stood in the lobby, like bar by the bar, you were fine. But in the showroom, it was miserable. And he's doing like a 45 minute set. And I said to him, so two hours. <laughs> <laughs> I said to him, why don't you take your jacket off? He had on like this, like a khaki, like a military kind of looking like cute jacket. I was like, why don't you take your jacket off? It's really hot. He's like, I have body issues. And I didn't know if he was serious or if he was kidding. So I just left it alone. I was like, okay, I get it, man. <laughs> yeah. He, he would sometimes wear a suit because he'd always want to be like an old soul comic. And then on the night, on the later shoot, he would like change. And then he would just go in his pajamas and be like, I'm going to sleep. <laughs> so, yeah. I like that. I do like that a lot. Yeah, he's he's someone who I really miss terribly. And then like, yeah. uh, then I got I started getting close with Saget, and then it was just like when that happened, I was just like, okay, I don't, I'm not gonna get close with anyone again. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I definitely know that, but also like, it's kind of like, um, you can't live your life that way, right? Like, you can't yeah. just live your life not getting close to them. What do they say? It's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved. Like, do you have a dog? I do. Boomer. Do Do you love your dog so much? Yeah. He's like my only, he's my pride and joy right now, but he drives me crazy. He's like my dog, Sonny, right? Pride and joy. Love him so much. You know, they don't live that long. Maybe 14 years if you're lucky. Like, and you, a lot of people are like, I'll never get another dog. And it's like, 
Yeah, you will. <laughs> it, it actually helps when you get another, because I had a dog, Gano, and he died about three years ago. And, like, literally we waited, like, maybe two weeks, and then we got boomed. Oh, wow. Good for you. Yeah. Like, I do like that newfound freedom. Like, once, a, like, my last dog died, like, it was bad. She was sick for, like, 10 months and died. And there was a relief for her because, you know, I was shoving pills down her throat every day and whatever. Were but, you feeding um, her milk? No, just pills. Oh, my God. You know, like she was on all kinds of different things. She had like some crazy disease, but you know, you feel like a relief of like, you know what? Like, I'm glad she's not having it. She hated it. I mean, shoving, you know, these pills in peanut butter or hot dogs or cheese. Imagine a dog not wanting to eat a hot dog. Like, like, because there's medicine in it and they know. So yeah, I mean, we love our dogs, don't we? (laughs) I remember like, it was so sad because like, here's where I knew like, we had to put Gano down because uh, I named him after the Violent Femmes, by the way. That's why his name's Gano. <laughs> like, I got a blister in the sun. Yeah. Let me go on. I didn't want you to think my dead dog was gay. I mean, <laughs> there's Also, I would march in those little doggy parades with him if he was. <laughs> I do not care. <laughs> but uh, I remember the, the day where like, I, I knew something was really wrong because it was raining like really, really bad. And dogs hate the rain. And I just remember he just went outside and just lied down. Oh. And I was like, okay, we got to, you know, it yeah. was sad. But um, your listeners are going to be like, wow, this is the most depressing interview he's ever done. No, no, no. They, uh, it's going to get good because I have a great story. And I, I wanted to ask you a great story because I heard this and I don't know if it's true. And I wanted to see if you could like either confirm it. Yeah, confirm it. It's, you know, you can't believe everything you read on Wikipedia. Right. Right. Because, you know, you could post anything. But I heard from the Internet that your ex-husband ruined a date for you. I don't I mean, possibly, yeah. but I don't think so. What uh, what was the context? What, I heard I heard you you were hiking and you. And you oh, were, my God. Yeah. Something well, like that. Ruined a date, but it was a it was the craziest story. So my ex husband and I were together for twenty three years. We got divorced after nineteen, and we you know it, he wasn't thrilled about it. But it was about a year and a half after our divorce was final that right. I met someone else, and um, we started dating. And we saw each other. We went on like one date, and he went out of town for a month. This guy, his name was Jason. And he went out of town for like a month for work. He went to China because he, he owned like a manufacturing company. Oh. And we talked every single day while he was out of town. So then when he came back, we felt like we really knew each other. So right. we went on a few more dates and we we're like, no, we're solid. So we'd been dating for like two months at this point, but really had only been seeing each other like in person for like a month. And we went hiking. So it was still super new, right? We were still like super like hearts in our eyes and like, Oh my God, this is fun. Like didn't know a ton about each other. You know, it was still two months in. So he's like, it was the honeymoon phase. Yeah. And he was like, do you want to go hiking? And I was like, Oh my God. Yes, of course. Meanwhile, I hate hiking. I don't hike. I don't camp. I don't do any physical exertion of any sort. And of course he's, 14 years younger than me. So I had to act like, yeah, your girl's in shape. Let's go. So we went hiking and it was hot out. It was, let's see, we started dating in April, May. It's probably like mid-May. So it's Arizona. Again, it's hot, whatever. 
So we hike up to this one area and I was like, you know, I don't hike a ton and I don't really have the right shoes. I just had like regular sneakers. And he's like, well, we won't do like any serious hiking. We'll like do this like kind of slope. And there's this like little rock area that you can kind of climb up and like look over the valley. And it was like, it was nice. So I said, yeah, that sounds great. So we did that. We get to the little rock area and it's like, you climb up to it and you're like overlooking the trail, like this whole big trail that's surrounding you. And one of my friends, um, her name's Lou Valentino. She was in radio and she would, she would always say like, cause she and I would talk about this guy, Jason, that I was dating and she would play foreigner that song. I want to know what love is. And then oh. she would play, I've been waiting like whatever she'd play foreigner songs. But she did and it in code for you. It was code to me. Like, Oh my God, like this guy oh you're God. falling in love. So she would like text me and be like, make sure you listen at 1.23 p.m. And I would listen and she would play a foreigner song. So he knew that and it was funny, right? So we're up on this hill overlooking this big hiking area. And we were joking around like, oh, this is a romantic moment. If Lou was here, she would play our song for us. And then I sang it to him and I go, I've been waiting. And from the trail, I hear someone go, for a girl like you. And I was like, what? And I look down and the person's like back is turned and they're walking away. And I'm like, that is my ex-husband. That is him. That is no, he's six foot four, 275 pounds. I know his walk. I was with him for 23 years, yeah. but he's walking like down a hill. So there's that kind of bouncingness. Oh, to his so walk. he was walking away like he's running so, I'm, he wasn't running. He was just walking. And in my head, I was like, is that him? But I was so like, what is the, what are the chances of this? But I also didn't want Jason to think that I was like, oh my God, my ex-husband's here, like excited about it. So I was trying to play it off, but I was also like, do you understand how weird this is? So then I get home and I mentioned it to him. Like he texted me and I was like, so saw you hiking today. He's like, what? He's like, you don't hike. And I'm like, I know, but I was hiking today and I saw you. And he's like, I wasn't hiking today. And I'm like, do not gaslight me. You were hiking today. <laughs> and he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't there. And then I started thinking like, well, maybe he wasn't. I'm like, but he does love to sing. And that's so something he would do, like sing back. And I was like, maybe it wasn't him. I started really doubting myself. So then later, the next day, he comes to pick up the kids. And he was late, as usual. Right. And I open the door. And I go, I've been waiting. And he goes, for a girl like you. And I was like, it was you. It was you. And he just started laughing and walked back to his car. Well, see, that sounds like a, a funny gaslight situation. It was. No, it was totally funny. It wasn't as <laughs> usual, his typical gaslighting sitch, but it was definitely like, it was one of the funnier times. Like, God, what are the chances of that? I never go hiking. There's like a zillion places to hike in Arizona. And that was the one place and time we decided to go. Just so crazy. But he didn't ruin the date though. He just made no, it I awkward. wish he would have. I wish he would have because we ended up staying together for almost four years after that, me and this Jason guy, and he turned out to be a raging alcoholic and a jerk and cheated on me. So I wish he would have <laughs> ruined the date. Wow. 
I would have been like, I wish when, you know, we're, I know, but like, I need you to ruin this date. Like you could do that code word thing now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like texting him like, Hey, listen, I'm going to go on a date with this guy. I know you and I are good friends. We've been divorced for almost eight years now. If I text you, I've been waiting You come to that <laughs> restaurant and you pick me up. <laughs> and I'm going to tell him I'm thinking about going back with my husband. <laughs> Right. I actually did have one guy I went on a date with. We went on like a cup. We didn't like go on dates. We like met up at bars and like hung out. And then one night I went out with him like and realized I was like, this is not going to work. Like there were some situations going on. I don't know how R rated your podcast gets. No, but, you can say whatever. Yeah. Oh, well, we were like messing around and I realized he had a very tiny dick. And <laughs> he was like, oh, this isn't going to work for me at right. all. Like at all. So um, I actually texted one of my, I called one of my really good friends, Boomer, name of your dog, right? Yeah. I called him Boomer and I was like, what do I do? And he's like, just tell them that your ex-husband is really suspicious. It works for me all the time. <laughs> I was like, you're married. He's like, I know, don't worry about it. I was like, okay. <laughs> wow, that's a great story. Now, uh, a question I had about comedy is because I feel I'm in this stage of my career, uh, career where I'm a feature comic, but I'm starting to do headlining and stuff. And I know you headline, but you also, I see you do sets for feature, you know, for actual headliners too. And mm -hmm. I wanted to, because I actually love that where like, I only could, I could work with someone who I like and admire and could learn from, and I could just do 20 minutes. Like, how do you, how, how do you like that? Do you prefer I love headlining? Yeah. I prefer the feature spot because someone warms you up. And then there's no pressure because you're the middle spot. So right. you can really just relax and be yourself and have fun. When you're headlining, first of all, if there's a low turnout at the show and you're the headliner, you always feel like it's your fault, no matter what. Right. And then the club will like say it's your fault. Oh, I've had a guy say to me, you know, I'm losing money this weekend. And I said to him, you booked me for this weekend. You asked me if I would do this date. Right. And you were supposed to promote. I don't live here. I have seven friends in Reno and they all came to the show, to two shows. In fact, right. all bought tickets. Everyone I know that lives here, you have a club here. So th that's on you, but you still feel like nobody wants to see me. Why aren't people like, oh my God, this, you know, like, oh, Jill Kimball said, we'll totally go. You <laughs> feel like nobody wants to see me. No one cares. So right. I, I do feel like the feature spot is the way to go. It's the... It's comfortable for me. I mean, headlining's great, but I'm also, which people might be surprised by this, but I am an extroverted introvert where I'm extroverted. I'm outgoing. I'll do these podcasts. I'll talk to people. People think, oh my God, Jill will fight anybody. She'll say anything that's on her mind. But I really am an introvert. After a show, I just want to hide. I just want to escape, even if it's a great show. Right. In the green room and not come out and say, that's why I don't sell merch. I can't, I do not like the, even if it's nice, like you were great. Oh my God. I love the show. Like it gives me anxiety to be like, thank you. Oh, I'm so glad you had fun. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Like I 100%. If anyone understands that, that's me because I was used as the Guinea pig and you know, I have autism. So I have an actual social disorder. I was used as a guinea pig to sell merch for people. Oh, yeah, that's the word. Collect emails. And it was so weird, you know, because like people would be like, they try to be nice because like I would say 70% of my stand up is talking about living on the spectrum. And then they, they'd buy like a Norm shirt where it would be like, and they'd be like, does Norm ever come out? And it's like, 
No, you got me. <laughs> so. well, I never minded selling merch for other people. Um, I didn't mind that because it wasn't for me. But right. like if it's my merchandise and I'm standing at a table and everybody just walks by and kind of waves and goes like, oh, good show. And you're like, they hated me. They hated me. <laughs> and you feel like you feel like you have to sell like because when I sell shirts or whatever, I feel like, OK, I have to sell five just so I could make what I made for the set so I could feel like I did my job. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then when, it, and especially it's worse when it's a sold out show and everyone just walks by, you're like, I take Venmo, you guys. Was <laughs> <laughs> I really that bad? <laughs> you know, just, it sucks because it's just hard. Oh, my daughter's home. Hello, everybody. Uh. It just sucks because it's, um, it's like such a, weird you know it's like two ends of the spectrum one we'd love to be on that stage talking we love nothing more than that making the audience laugh we want them to love us we want them to want to see us to want to talk to us but then we're like do not talk to us <laughs> just but that's like that's not mean or like personal that's just like an anxiety within that makes you feel like that and that's fine and like you need to respect that about yourself like there are times especially like with other comedians where i see them doing stuff that i'm like why can't I do that? Why aren't I writing a new this many minutes every this, you know, a certain amount of time? Or why aren't my jokes super polished? Or why isn't there a joke with like a tagline that I could put on merch? Why am I all over the place? And like so much improv and so much crowd work and so much ad lib. And you're like, you know what? There's room for that. There's room for the Kevin Pollock's of the world that have his set orchestrated literally not only from beginning to the end of the jokes, but in between each jokes, when each joke, when he takes a sip of water or the way he raises his eyebrow or looks at the crowd in a certain way, that is all orchestrated. I've watched him six shows in a row one weekend when I opened for him and I was like, oh, he, it's like a full, it's like a ballet in Swan Lake. If you're, if you're performing in Hamilton, you don't ad lib. You're not in the middle of singing, you know, I'm not throwing away my shot and like ad-libbing lines. You're by the book and there's a place for that. But yeah. then there's also a place for people who are just kind of off the rails and like, let's see what happens. And what does this crowd have to offer? And I do find myself comparing myself to other comics. I worked with a comic this last week on a carnival ship. His name is Dylan. And... um he was really good, like really good, right. just 32 years old and just very polished. And he's like, for this set, I'm going to use this chunk of material. And for this set, I'm going to use this other chunk. And I'm like, I have notes on my phone on the stage because for the clean set, I know there's certain jokes I can't do. And then at the end of that set, I will go through that list and cross off the jokes I've done. So I know the ones that are still left over for me to do for my next set that has to be different. Like, you know what? There's room for everybody in that. As long as the crowds are responding and laughing, it doesn't matter your approach. I'm trying to yeah. believe that. Now, I don't want to say bitter because that's that's the wrong word. So if I come up with a better word for it, you know, correct me. But do you ever get like jealous? Let's say jealous. That's probably a better word. Do you ever get jealous of these comics that, that they could do these things and then you, you forget what you can do during that moment? 
Yes, a hundred percent. In fact, there's I just today. I'm not going to say the name because I don't want the person to feel bad. But there's a person that has had a good level of success, and I was kind of bitter. It is bitter is a good word. Like not like I'm a bitter person, but like there's right. a bitterness to your. You almost get like a mm, taste in your mouth that every time I would see that this person was doing something or got booked on something, it was like a pang of jealousy. And not like she doesn't deserve it, but like, why don't I? Like, why am I? But it wasn't like, why don't I get that? It was more like, why can't I work hard enough to also earn that? So it was like a introspective thing. Like I was, I'm looking into myself. Like, it's almost like I'm jealous that I don't work hard enough to do what this person's doing. Right. It's not like I'm jealous of them. Like, I don't think they deserve it. I feel like, damn it. I wish... I can make myself deserve it. And then just today, even I saw something that they had gotten and I went like (laughs) out loud. And then I thought, no, the last time you saw them, they were really nice to you. And you have no reason to do that. They deserve this. They've earned it. You're also doing it. It's fine. Like, so you got to remind yourself. I mean, this business is bitter. We're not accountants or executive assistants, which is what I used to do. Who go into it's a business job. full of narcissists. Yeah. Not only that, but like, not only like everyone else has their own ego and you're competing with other comics for spots on shows or getting booked at just for laughs or who's headlining where it's like, there's also agents and bookers and managers that don't want you to succeed. Right. That want their person to succeed instead of you. So they're working against you or you're just not their type or you're too old for what they're casting. Or am I a new face? Not by any stretch of the imagination. So I will never be on just for laughs, new faces, but you know what? I did get into just for laughs with the Kevin Hart thing. So there's other avenues that we also need to look at if we feel like we're not a hundred percent, you know, like on the path we hoped we'd be. Um, and I mean, I'm 52 and I've been doing comedy for almost 17 years and yeah. I'm still trying to make myself believe these things because logically I know them to be true, but in your heart, you feel rejected and like people don't want you and you're not funny enough. And when people say, even your own brother hasn't had you on his show, you start to believe it. And there are people who will be mean and cruel and try to tear you down oh. and they've done nothing. Most people that try to tear you down have done nothing. Yeah, I didn't want to, I mean, I'm sure the folks knew, but I didn't want to tell the folks who your brother was because I wanted this to be about Jill Kimmel. Oh, yeah, I mean, it still will be about me. But yeah, Jimmy Kimmel's my brother. So that does give some context (laughs) to some of the things that I talk about, right? Like, you know, some of the things that I'll talk about, it just makes sense to know that Jimmy's, I remember one time I was telling my friend a story And I was like, yeah. And Tom Cruise was at my brother's house and blah, blah. And I was like telling this story and this other comic. He's a short dude, isn't he? He's short. I wasn't there. My dad was there. He's like five, six. But my, this other comic who I didn't know walked up as I was saying that I was like, and Tom Cruise was there and he goes, what? And I was like, oh, I was like, my brother's Jimmy Kimmel. Like I, I had to explain that in order for him to not look at me crazy. Right. So then a few years later, I like met this guy again And he goes, yeah, I remember the first time I met you, you were telling everybody Jimmy Kimmel is your brother. And I go, no, that is not what happened. He was telling everyone I'm his sister. That you walked (laughs) up in the middle of and wanted to know the context of the story. So he's like, oh, I'm like, so that's like, 
you know, you never know. So this whole time in that guy's head for two years or whatever, he's thinking that I walk around just telling people that. And it's like, yeah. don't worry, I don't. Well, uh, all the all all the rifters, I call my listeners rifters. All That's the rifters funny. know, just like you, that I have a weird obsession with John Cusack. And um, yes, I, yes, I interviewed Ann Cusack, and when I interviewed her, I one hundred percent did not mention John Cusack. Good. And, and who is Anne? Is that a sister? Yeah, yeah, it's a sister. Because I know who Joan is. Yeah, Joan's great too. And so Anne's another sister. Yeah, yeah. That's and cool. I'm actually really good friends with her. And I remember when I listened to it, I was actually very, very proud of myself for not. Yeah, you know, that's good. I, yeah, because it is a natural question. I mean, I can't tell you probably one interview I've ever done that they didn't at least ask me something or at least touch on it. Like, so what's it like coming from a famous family? Well, our family is not famous. Just Jimmy is. So, I mean, (laughs) I don't know what to tell you, but yeah. So I'm proud of you for that, but I love John Cusack. I've had a big crush on him. If he's single, tell his sister, Hey, holla. Yeah, yeah, we should. Yeah. (laughs) I could say, John, you could date my friend Jill and and do my podcast. Yeah. In that order, (laughs) in that order. (laughs) But, um, I wanted to ask you, uh, because I'm, I'm sure a lot of people don't actually know the, the Hollywood lingo for this. But um, what's the difference between like executive producer and associate producer? Because you're associate producer on Crank Acres, and I don't really know what that is. Well, an executive producer, I don't 100% know what that is either. Um, it's like very high up and sometimes they do a ton of work and sometimes they don't do much and they just get that EP title like for whatever. Yeah. I don't know. But an associate producer, what I did on Crank Anchors is... Um, I mean, I don't even know what other jobs would be considered an associate producer, but what I did was um, we did it all through Zoom because it was just easier. We started doing that during the pandemic and then we realized, oh, well, we could get, it's cheaper for one thing and we can get a lot more good talent to do the show if they don't have to travel anywhere. So we would just send like um, the sound equipment and recording equipment to their house and then have like a, a tech in their you know town. We'd hire people in New York to go whatever to set it up for them. And then we would do it over Zoom, and it would be them and me. And I had a whole recording, like a sound. What do they call them? The board, like the a sound, sound, board. A sound, yeah, sound board. board. Yeah. And I had one of those. And then I would, since I lived in Arizona. See, here's the thing. You got to make it legal. Okay. You, you have to be legal about the calls. And a lot of states don't allow you to record calls. Oh, really? But in Arizona, as long as one party knows that the call is being recorded, then it's legal. And so I lived in Arizona. So I would make this call call is being recorded by the way. No, that's fine. (laughs) I figured Um, the big recording button in the top left. side. um, Yeah. So I would make the calls and that's, that's how it was legal. And um, you know, so I was an associate producer, I guess. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah because I, I had no idea. I just thought it was just like putting money into something. I didn't oh, know. Oh, God, like, no. Yeah. No, your girl's not. I don't got it like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, I'd like to put all this money into crank anchors. I don't know. No, um, yeah, they've got they've got their their Comedy Central. So Comedy Central does all that. I don't think they're accepting any investors for private shows. Yeah. Now I wanted to ask you: Do you, do you uh, think that these these Zoom because you're you're talking about working on the Zoom, but do you think 
Because like when you do acting and auditions and stuff, is it easier for you? Or do you like to do the, you know, auditions in front of a real person for the energy? Um, oh, I hate, I hate Zoom. I yeah. hate Zoom. I like Zoom for stuff like this. For stuff like this, it's great. Um, auditions, I mean, it's nice because you can just keep doing it over and over till you get a take you like. Right. Um, so I do like it for auditions, but for stand-up comedy, no, I will not do them. Yeah. I've done a few and I hate them. The anxiety level of not hearing how the audience is reacting, if I should change up my material, if they like the dirty, if they want it dirtier, if I should go, I cannot do it. I've turned yeah. down a lot of them. People are like, but it's easy. It's over Zoom. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm good. Thank you though. My, my manager had me do a couple of Zoom ones during the pandemic and like, I would agree with you. I didn't like it, but I, I also didn't like, like, uh, shut it down like that because even though I know I, I probably bombed in it, the one thing about me, you know, we were talking about like jealousy and bitterness and stuff. Uh, one thing about me is I have a huge, 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 what? Uh, no, a supply of confidence. Oh, good. So, so like, regardless if I'm, you know, I don't, obviously I'm not the funniest comedian in the world, but I feel I can be, I feel I could go after anybody. And I feel like I made this case. Like, I feel I could follow Dave Chappelle. I don't know if I can, but I feel confident enough to follow him. You know that's I mean? really amazing. And that's not something you could learn. Well, I, that's I mean, I, I learned that through Norm though. Yeah, but you, but, but you have it. I yeah. mean, I think you learn. I think you probably accepted it because of your experience with Norm, but you have that confidence. I don't. Yeah. I would rather sit back. I will never do a contest. I will never. I just. I just won't do it. I don't I like do to put so many in, contests. Yeah. yeah, I don't like to put myself in positions where I'm going to be rejected. I just don't. Right. I. I mean, I maybe because I've been an actor for so long. It's like, and I also. I feel like I think what it is, is like, I'll try out for something. If I definitely feel like I could do this, but if it's something that I'm like, come on, I just, I just don't. I'm like, you know what? Be realistic about the things you're trying out for and the things that you're hoping to get. Yeah. Because then I feel like people take you more seriously. If I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to apply for this. I'm going to submit to, you know, this festival and that festival and this contest. And I'm going to audition. It's like, people are like, okay, like relax. You're not, you know, Justin Timberlake, you can't do everything. <laughs> do you think that uh, politics has like really ruined humor in a, in a, in a way where it goes one way or the other or like, no, I don't, no. I don't think it has. Um, I think it's ruined our country. I think it's ruined. Um, uh, but I'm talking about humor. Like, yeah. No, I don't think it's, I don't think it's ruined humor at all because I think people who do political humor um, are generally smart because yeah. like, I know how I feel about the candidates, about the, you know, different elected officials, of course, but I yeah. don't know enough to like argue it. And you yeah, have to I'm the same enough. way. Like yeah. where, like, like I'll have an opinion, but, and I'll believe in my opinion, but I don't believe in an opinion to have, like, I don't think it's, I think it's too much energy to argue over it. You know what I mean? Well, like, not, I mean, too much energy, but also I feel like, listen, if you're going to prove me otherwise, like, great, good for you. But yeah. I don't know enough about something 
to like be like, no, I mean, I know that Trump's a piece of absolute garbage fire that I do know 100%. Could I argue the policies in the Middle East and the this and the, no, I could not. So I just yeah. stay out of it. I know I hate Trump. And um, that's like, that's about as far as it goes. Like, I know that Biden seems like a nice guy, but I know that also people are like, well, he did this, he did that. I'm like, yeah, no, I probably like, I'm not like that, like hardcore about anything, except that I would never trust Trump alone with my 20 year old daughter. I'll tell you that. Well, I, uh, because, you know, when Norm was alive, Norm did a, I want to say Fallon with Trump. And, uh, he called me after he, he, he's on the cell phone. He's like, Hey Keith, uh, future president Donald Trump is here. I'd be like, Oh, cool. He's like, yeah, hey, he wants to take a picture with me. And he told me to wait here, and I've been waiting for three hours. <laughs> so I just thought it was just so funny because, like, he was doing it in a, a mocking way. But, I, you right. know, whenever That's that funny. guy called me, it just was so funny. Um, I have two more questions for you because I want to respect your time. One, one uh, what kind of jokes does Jill Kimmel like? Like, what what's a joke where you could just – be like, okay, I love this joke, regardless if people think it's funny or not. I actually, if I had to pick and choose, I like certain different things, but my favorite humor is like, not even like jokes. It's just like ridiculous humor. Like I love just dumb things that you're like, you were dropped on your head. Like, I don't know what happened to you, but your brain is twisted. Like my little brother, Jonathan, is so funny and you almost can't even pinpoint, like I almost can't even tell, like relay to people like, oh my God, he said this thing. And people kind of look at you like, oh, you have to see it yourself. Like, and I just love that. I love ridiculous humor, things just out of the ordinary or like a twist that you're like, like one time we were in Italy and he was like, if I lived, he's like, if I lived in Italy, I would just take people, Americans on tours. And I would just, I would just take them on tours and I would be like, um, do you see in the distance over there, over there is a place and just past that, there's another place. Now, if we go two miles down the road, there are many places. And of all of the places, I think the place I like the best is this place. And like, he just went on for like 20 minutes talking about places and it makes no sense. It's technically not really a joke or funny, but it was hilarious. And yeah. That's just, that's what I like. I really like the, the, the quirky, dark, real type stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Be because yeah. I think that, you know, I have, I have depression as well. So the dark stuff really makes me laugh because I've been in those dark spots and the quirkiness is just so outrageous. And it's just like, oh, it makes me feel like a kid. You know? So who, like what comedian would come to mind when you're mentioning that kind of humor? Definitely Norm. I yeah. Know, like, uh, yeah, he's very like, he would come up with things that you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know. We were writing jokes, you know, before he passed and stuff. And like, they were pretty, they were pretty dark. And like, he was like, I, I can't tell these jokes on this new special, but you could, you should try and sell them to Anthony Jeselnik. I love <laughs> Jeselnik. <laughs> So, you know, I was like, ah, I, but then like, I'm, I'm the type of comic where I don't like to go up to a comic and be like, Hey, I got a perfect joke for you. 
Because yeah, no, because right, people don't care they for don't that. Know if they'll, they'll, regular they'll... people doing that. But if you had your manager contact Anthony's people and say, "Hey, I've got a guy who used to write for Norm Macdonald. He's got some material and he's interested in maybe pitching some stuff to Anthony." That is the proper channel to go about that. Yeah, I'm not really confident in the jokes though, like that. You know what I mean? Because also I wrote it with him, so like I don't want to like, you know. But uh, it always made me laugh. Like one one of one of my favorite jokes that uh, we wrote together is a uh, we we were driving from Vegas and we hit a coyote, uh, and we knew it was a coyote because a roadrunner came up to me and said thanks. <laughs> yeah. See, that's great. That's great. I love that, and I could just picture Norm's delivery of that. Yeah, I was driving in Las Vegas, and uh, we were driving in the car. It was late at night; couldn't really see much, and uh, we hit a coyote. And uh, how do you know it was a coyote? You might ask. <laughs> well, you know, like I could just hear him. Well, yeah. the uh, roadrunner came up and thanked me. Like I just—that's funny. <laughs> but we we would add tags to it too. Like we we put a guy. You know, I actually actually do this joke in my stand-up now because I I wrote it. Mo I mostly wrote it, but like he would give me the tags. But we we put the the a Geico and a, and a black guy who says, "Are you in, in good hands?" You know, and we would just make car insurance references on. So like, that's the type of stuff I like. Yeah, that's great. And then my last question for you, and this is probably going to be the most random question you'll ever be asked. But, I love random. I love random. You know this. <laughs> yeah. But have you ever met Ben Stein and did you win his money? I did not win his money, but yes, I met Ben many times. <laughs> oh, all right. What was that yeah. like? Um, yeah, he's fine. You know, he's an older man. I'm like Jimmy's kid's sister. When, you know, when we met, I guess, see, Jimmy's been doing, um, this is actually his 20th year anniversary of his show. So that would put me at 32. So I was probably, he was doing Ben Stein just before I got married. And I got married at 26. So I was probably like 25. Yeah. And Jimmy was 28. And Ben was probably like almost 50 by then. Yeah, because he's like my mom's age. So, I mean, I was just like a kid to him. So he was just like, oh, hello. You know, he was just nice. But yeah, we didn't have like a big hang. And not like Jeff Ross, who's like a family friend, you know. Right. I mean, Ben's uh, like technically a family friend, but like I wouldn't consider him a friend of mine. Right, right. Because like I, I watched these, uh, you know, the reruns and stuff. And it kind of it like, I don't know much about the game shows. But I have a feeling he doesn't want you to win his money. Well, it's not his money. It was Comedy Central's money. So but I don't think know, he, cares. But no, but he doesn't know. like being outsmarted. That is for sure. Because yeah. he's really smart. Oh, yeah. He, he used to hear a little Ben Stein fact that a lot of people want to know. He used to write speeches for presidents. For Nixon. Yep. Yeah. So, yes. uh, yeah. Okay. Where can the folks at home follow and support Jill Kimmel? Well, I am on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at the same handle, which is all It's Me, Jill Kimmel. Yeah. And I mean, I'm on Facebook, but you know, you're yeah. going to see everything on Facebook that you see on Instagram, except for me like bitching, like saying that I lost my phone. And right. nobody cares about that except my friends. Um, so yeah, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I'm not on TikTok a ton. I mostly just scroll through there. Um, but yeah, Instagram's kind of my favorite one. And Twitter, I get a little more political, but... Still not really. Right. Yeah. Well, Jill, 
Jill, I'm so glad we actually could do this. And, you know, it really cheered me up and it was the highlight of my day. So thank you so much. Oh, you're sweet. Thank you. I'm glad I did it too. I'm glad we finally were able to connect with all my travels. I work a lot of cruise ships. And so I'm not home a lot. When I'm home, I just want to not speak to anybody for days at a time. So this was nice. Nice to see your face. Yeah. Next time you're in Los Angeles, let's get together and we'll get it. I'm here right now. I'm here right now. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought you were in Arizona. No, I've been living in in Los Angeles for a year and a half. Oh, okay. Well, let's get together and get a chicken. A whole chicken or like portions of a chicken? I don't know. I just thought that sounded funny. Yeah, yeah. let's get a chicken. Let's get some of its nuggets. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Okay. All right, Joe. I love you. Have Please, a great day. I'll love you, man. Take care. Bye. Bye. You're listening to Razor Riffs with Keith Razor. And Alan Lee, right here on LA Talk Radio. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcast. Give us some feedback. Good, honest, terrible, doesn't matter. Also, follow us on social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Razor Riffs. I am also on Stereo if you would like to chat with me there, www.stereo.com slash Keith and on Cameo, www.cameo.com slash Keith If you enjoyed the show, please send us a donation on the Anchor app. We really do appreciate it, and we'll rift with you again soon.